I came across some research recently which concludes despite social pressure, boys and girls still prefer gender typical toys, i.e., boys prefer boys' toys and girls prefer girls' toys. Fifty years of research on children's toy preferences, the study says, shows that kids generally prefer toys orientated toward their own gender. A recent meta-analysis overviewed 75 studies on children's gender-related toy preferences. The results found that gender-related toy preferences may be considered a well-established finding. It's a controversial topic. Some people argue that these preferences stem from social pressure, while others say they're at least partly rooted in biology. Gender roles have become more fluid. Have children's preferences towards gender-typed toys become more fluid too? The study asks. The short answer seems to be no. For decades, studies have shown that boys and girls generally prefer playing with toys typically associated with their biological sex. Toy trucks for boys and dolls for girls, to give a rough example. These results have remained remarkably stable over the past 50 years, according to a 2020 meta-analysis of research on gender differences in toy preferences. Published in the academic journal Archives of Sexual Behaviour and titled The Magnitude of Children's Gender Toy Interests has remained remarkably stable over 50 years of research. The analysis examined 75 previous studies, 113 effect sizes and a range of toy preference measurements. And one of the statements in the study has it, no matter what society wants, it's worth noting that there seems to be some biological drivers behind children's preferences for gender-typical toys. The authors of the report, Jack T.M. Davis and Melissa Hines, found, quote, a broad consistency of results across a large body of research on children's gender-related toy preferences. Children showed large and reliable preferences for toys that were related to their own gender. Thus, according to our review, gender-related toy preferences may be considered a well-established finding. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. But no matter what society wants, it's worth noting that there seem to be some biological drivers behind children's preferences, as the report suggests. For example, studies have shown, and I'll link to this um, underneath in the description, that babies tend to prefer toys orientated to their own gender. A finding, because it's babies, that suggests their preference is innate because they're in the pre-socialization stage of development. Supporting that argument are other studies showing that baby monkeys 
also display gender-typical toy preferences. So it's easy to see how social pressures might affect kids' toy preferences as they grow up. So the question of why kids prefer the toys that they do likely boils down to a familiar answer, the report concludes, a mix of environmental and biological factors. And the report concludes as well, it would be, an ex it would be extreme to claim zero influence of biology on gender differences in toy choices. And the research community is still divided on how important biology and social factors are, Davis told this article, and I'll link to it below, as I say. Now, in many ways, this is uh, perhaps another remarkable confirmation of what the Quran says. There's a verse, Surah chapter 3, verse 36, which states, The male is not like the female. The male is not like the female. This suggests that there are real meaningful differences between the sexes right from the beginning, from birth or from a, our life in the womb. And I think science is kind of catching up with this uh, perhaps common sense observation about giving it some scientific empirical basis. And I was also reminded of uh, a book I read years ago, Remembering God, Reflections on Islam by the British writer Guy Eaton, sometimes called the grandfather of British Islam. And I just wanted to read to you some amazing words of his. He's one of my favourite writers um, about the gender differences and gender roles, both in Islam and in modernity and our modern Western context. He throws much insightful light, I think, on this. <clears throat> and he says on page 87, when Westerners, while paying lip service to the spiritual aspects of Islam, denounce the Islamic social system and specifically the sexual discrimination which seems to them inherent in it, they are acting true to form. The imperial tradition did not expire in the 1950s. It changed its focus, and the triumphant civilization still thrives on the conviction of its own superiority. Notions of right and wrong are in a state of flux, but at any given moment, Western values are not open to question. How true that is. The fact that these values were different a few years ago is irrelevant. Progress validates the current fashion in morals and in political correctness, or as we would say now, wokeness. Islam does indeed discriminate between male and female, he writes. Put simply, perhaps too simply, contemporary Western culture tries to minimise the differences between the sexes, whereas Islam maximises them and glories in them. An awareness of differences is an aspect of intelligence, an aspect of being human. That's amazingly insightful. And then a little longer, uh, further on in the chapter, he says on page 93, in general, however, the woman, the Muslim woman's sphere of operation is the home in which she is the dominant figure. It is for man to go out into the storm, fighting in defence of his family and his people, standing firm against the overweening power of those who hold power in their hands, earning money to maintain his household. In a certain sense, when he returns home, he is returning from war to peace. 
The distinction of functions is abhorrent to modern sensibilities. It seems inherently unfair. It would seem less so if the balance between work and home had not been so gravely disturbed. Most people in the West today identify themselves by the work they do. Their home is their dormitory. The job is what matters, and at a certain level, professionalism, in inverted commas, is a source of pride. This is an ugly word. It implies the subordination of every other aspect of life to the activity by which people earn their livelihood. In Europe and America today, young professionals have neither time nor energy left over for their personal lives, let alone for their spiritual lives. And this is a slow death of the soul. It might be better to reserve the term professional for the profession of prostitution. One of the advantages of the prayers which the Muslim is commanded to perform five times each day is that they interrupt his work and draw him back from the lesser to the greater activity. The job and all the anxieties associated with it are put in their place, subordinate to the act of remembering God and giving him his due. In Islam, home and family are firmly situated at the centre of life in this world and of society as such. A man's work in competition with his fellows cannot take precedence over the private realm the realm in which woman is queen. Only when this order of priorities is reversed can her role be seen as less significant and less useful than that of her husband. She represents stability and, very often, the practical realism which restrains the male tendency to ignore facts in, in favour of theories. In this context, I cherish a remark attributed to the widow of Karl Marx. How good it would have been if Karl had made some capital instead of writing so much about it. But generalisations always have to be qualified. As elsewhere, there are Muslim marriages in which the husband is not merely dominant but tyrannical. There are others in which the wife is clearly in charge and her husband is putty in her hands. The dominant Muslim woman, particularly among the Arabs and the Sudanese, is an awe-inspiring figure, a queen whose dignity is unassailable. She does not seek liberation. She has no need to do so. But what about equality? This word has been a slogan ever since the French Revolution and means whatever this or that ideologue wants it to mean. In practice, if not in principle, it has become associated with sameness since it implies comparison of like with like. Are a tiger and a lion equal? The question has no meaning. Since every human being is unique, the egalitarian is obliged to advocate social engineering in favour of some current theory, often a disruptive process because custom and habit are the basis of a stable society. The one thing that all of us have in common is the potential, the potential to approach close to God 
but each in his or her own way. It has been said that there are as many paths as there are human souls, although these paths run in parallel on the highways provided by the traditional revealed religions and lead to the same destination. Arguments as to whether men or women are equal in Islam lead nowhere. Men are superior in one context, women in another. Perhaps one should conclude simply that both are superior. The Quran says that men have a degree above women. The, the sky from which the fertilizing rain falls has a degree above the earth, but they complement each other. In Islam, as in other traditions, the first fracture in the unity which transcends all multiplicity is the separation of sky and earth. In this life, man, as distinguished from woman, has three functions in addition to that of fertilization. He leads the ritual prayer, a priestly function. He fights when it is necessary to defend the home and he labours to earn his family's daily bread. The third function is variable. The prophet's first wife and principal support in the early years of his mission was a successful and pros prosperous businesswoman. The Quran says, I do not suffer to be lost the work of any worker among you, male or female. But the first two functions are invariable, and the man who fails to fulfil them has no degree at all. William Blake's saying, if only the men would do their duty, the woman would be such wonders, has an Islamic ring to it. And Rumi, the poet and mystic, wrote, if one could become a man by virtue of beard and testicles, every young buck has enough hair and beard. I hope that was of interest. Till next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.